0: Right, I was like, oh great, another person is a lesbian. Another lesbian (laughs) on the ranch. (laughs) Ah, Another lesbian on the ranch. Hello, and welcome to Cinema Very Gay, the podcast where we talk about the full spectrum of LGBTQIA plus movies. The good, the bad, the offensive, the string of lights around my heart. I'm your host, Kevin, (laughs) here with my co-host, Jake, and this week we are talking about Desert Hearts. Though love is blind, make up your mind, I've
1: got to know. Should I hang up, or will you tell him, he'll have to go? Hi, welcome back to Cinema Very Gay. I'm Jake. I'm Kevin.
0: And today we are talking about lesbians. Lesbians and the movies that they star in. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into it, give us a follow. I remembered this time. Yeah, good job. Give us a follow on all of our socials. That would be Instagram and Twitter and our letterbox at Cinema Very Gay. I think Letterbox has a feature now where you can also set up things that are in your watch list you can get a notification when they're streaming oh which is nice for some of the like older movies that we've been talking about that like cycle through services and they're hard to pin down
1: i'm surprised that letterbox has that capability given how bare bones the website is (laughs) it's
0: valid i just go to justwatch.com
1: i like how i don't know if a lot of streaming services do this but with criterion at least if you save something to your queue and then it goes off streaming but then it comes back it'll pop back into your queue. Netflix Netflix does
0: that. Netflix does that. Well Netflix sucks there's nothing good on it. true. We're just mad that the DVD service is being cut off because we're the last two people using it.
1: Sometimes you can't find anything except on DVD. That's true.
0: Although Netflix still doesn't have some DVDs. Also true. Wacky. Anyway I have a summary of the movie that we are Talking about this week for Jakeford to read. For Jakeford to read. For to read. Uh, okay. This week on
1: Lesbian Movie Trope Bingo, it's Desert Hearts, directed by Donna Deitch. Pull out your hat pins and let's see what their score is. One. A woman finds love and lust when she leaves the confines of the big city. Check. Uh, two. We aren't quite sure of the main character's sexuality. Check. Three, two women profess their love to each other right after sleeping together for the first time. Check. Four, horses. Check. Mm -hmm. Five, someone undoes a tight garment to show how she's loosening up. I'm going to say, you you wrote check. I'm going to say double check because there were like
0: several garments. That's,
1: That's bingo. We have a winner. To be fair, a movie that is such a foundation of lesbian cinema deserves to lay the ground rules of a genre, especially given how lesbians absolutely peed themselves with excitement when this movie got a wide release. It might not be the best lesbian movie we'll get to on this podcast, but it's certainly the dustiest. Uh-huh. Yes, it is. Yeah, did you did you watch the um, Jane Lynch interview with no, Donna Deitch? No, I didn't. No. Uh, I watched it. It wasn't actually that... Uh, I didn't get a lot out of it. It was mostly just Lynch gushing and talking about how she... At the beginning, she prefaced it saying she'd watch the movie once a day for a period of like two years. And I thought maybe she was exaggerating. But as the interview went on, she clearly
0: has an encyclopedic knowledge of every shot of this film. Yeah. so Lesbians love it. Peed. Peed themselves. To name what the movie actually is... It is Desert Hearts. Mm-hmm. I, I said nineteen eighty six. I think I was wrong. It premiered
1: at the Locarno Film Festival in nineteen eighty five, and it premiered in the U.S. in oh, so it would have
0: been a, the festival circuit. Okay, then it got its wide release in eighty six, which is why. Okay, so it was the first lesbian romance movie, like with lesbian romance at the center movie, to get a wide release in like by theatrical release in the United States, right. So that's that's the movie. It was directed by Donna Deitch, based on a novel called *Desert of the Heart* mm-hmm. by Jane Rule, and it stars Helen Shaver as Vivian Bell, the uh, uptight hatpin wearing, like becoming a divorcee, and she is a she's a professor.
1: She's an English professor at Columbia, and she goes to it's 1959, so she goes mm-hmm. to Reno. To establish residency for six
0: weeks, six weeks, six weeks to uh, get a divorce because that's yeah. how you did it back in that's, the day. That's what you have to do. And while she's there establishing her residency, of course she falls in love. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, with Kay Rivers. That's a good name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay Rivers, the sort of like ranch owner's, I guess stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, her father
1: was. What's the rancher's so, name? So
0: the ranch owner's name is Francis. Francis, and Francis was having a long-term affair with Greg, who was Kay's father, and then Kay's mother died, and so they just kept their affair going, but mm-hmm. then Kay's father, Greg, died, but Francis just kept raising her yes and then Kay still lives with her on this ranch that she
1: yeah which owns. is sort of uh difficult to glean watching the movie because right. it's pretty much that entire summary is established through innuendo mm-hmm. because well I, I guess francis Kay's father was her the love of her life and she is living in a bit of a fantasy world about the parameters of that relationship, so Kay never wants to super confront her on it. And she does in one scene, but she still doesn't say that you were my father's mistress or anything like that.
0: Right. I did get more the second time that I watched this movie. I watched it on the... It's streaming on Criterion Channel right now, and I watched it with um, the director's commentary and uh, with Deech speaking over the movie... You can see where some of the, like, adaptations from the screenplay by Natalie Cooper, like, where some of those changes were a little bit unclear. And it helped to have Deech explaining the relationships and explaining some of the nuance that she was bringing. Because, yes, though it is a pretty solid screenplay in terms of, like, the characterization of these two women, I think there's a lot to be uh, desired in terms of, like, exposition and scene setting for me.
1: Yeah, I think I was fine with the lack of exposition, but I think I do agree that it jumps around a little bit where, yeah, there's some maybe connective tissue that can make the movie move along a little smoother. Mm -hmm. I was actually, something that occurred to me after I watched the movie, and I'm not even sure why this is, but the movie is a period piece. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like
0: a period piece. I never felt like it was while I was watching the movie. Did you? No. And some of that, again, Deach in her commentary talked to this point. There's some moments where the places where she wanted to like establish the period would have been like lining the street when she gets out of the train station with like people in period costume and Mm -hmm. cars from the 1950s. But she only had a budget of like, 1.5 million or it was less than that but then with donations or contributions to it she was able to increase the budget yeah she spent like like, over two years mm -hmm. fundraising for this movie just which is cool but it just meant that her limitations were she couldn't build sets in the same way
1: yeah i'm not saying that's a it's a bad thing that it's not super period specific and i'm also guessing kind of to your point that there are probably a lot of places in the united states where the difference between 1959 and 1985 was not that appreciably different <laughs> like watching
0: no country for old men you're like is this yeah what does that take place
1: <laughs> yeah what does that take place in i i think just you know rural areas like that mm-hmm. they're not going to especially if you don't have the technological breakthroughs of like computers right. and stuff like that it's hard right. to kind of place when they're happening um, but it didn't feel yeah it didn't feel super period specific which i was i was with actually i didn't it it didn't bother me um Mm -mm. if anything sometimes the period of
0: lesbian romantic dramas can be a little distracting agreed i kept thinking of um and i'm forgetting the name of the movie oh no there it is because imdb is pulling it up as you might also like (laughs) i kept thinking of the world to come which was just like (laughs) we talked about this way back on lesbian period pieces but it was just like so many of them are just so caught up in Now we got to chop set. wood because yep. it's the 19th century. <laughs> and we got to go milk those cows and my husband's going to go hunt. And while he's hunting... Tuesday, January 1st, 1856. With little pride and less hope, we begin the new year. But yeah, this one was... It, it did feel more organic in that sense. It yeah. also felt
1: more... I guess, I don't know if modern's the word, but it was interesting that Kay is openly a lesbian in the movie.
0: <laughs> well, is she, she's not openly, well, this is where I, this is where I got, got confused. Like, is she openly lesbian or is she just openly, like, has dated women in the past? Because well, she's with her boyfriend, who is also her boss, which she's not happy in. And they break up. She's not with him. I don't you think know, aren't they in a relationship.
1: No, they have that. He is just coming on to her really strong. And she says, you know, she, she basically says that, you know, I only like women. And he said, he doesn't, he doesn't care, <laughs> but uh, no one, no one in the movie. I don't think the word lesbian ever gets thrown around, Mm-mm. but her friend silver mm-hmm. knows that she sleeps with women. Mm-hmm. Her boss, says that he knows she sleeps with women and doesn't care. Possibly, you know, maybe he thinks he can change her or thinks it's a phase. Who knows? Mm -hmm. The Francis knows that she sleeps with women. In an early scene, when Vivian goes over to deliver something to Kay's house, mail or something, she walks in on Kay with a woman in her bed, and
0: Kay doesn't really seem to care that much. Right, that's true. Which is which is nice, but then it, it also makes it makes it sort of strange with her Kay's relationship with Francis and why Francis is so upset that Kay would be finding happiness. hmm I think it's an interesting relationship that the two of them have that I don't think you see in like a maybe any romance movies like this, where a lot of the focus of the movie isn't on the impacts of the two main characters in this case k and vivian's love for each other but it's like really concerned with how their love impacts relationships external to their relationship because francis is like really hurt and it's betrayed by vivian and k yeah her, yeah her whole Fine thing romance. is
1: she needs she feels like she needs k around because k is a reminder of greg greg and she is holding on to her because of that. And so she acts very loving towards her, but also just can't accept her for who she is. And that's sort Mm -hmm. of the arc of their relationship. Mm -hmm. I also, something that I did find actually confusing. Well, actually, and you mentioned this in your review, the ambiguous sexuality of, or your summary, the Mm -hmm. ambiguous sexuality of one of the characters. There's that scene where Vivian goes to her divorce lawyer in mm-hmm. reno and she says that um she wants to be who she is mm-hmm. and she wants to go out on her own and do all this stuff and i guess just knowing what the movie was about watching that scene i was like she thinks she's a lesbian but i guess she's not mm-hmm. because she pushes back when Kay comes on to her later in the movie yeah i'm guessing that was just a sort of more vague thing about how she doesn't want to be with her husband anymore for whatever reason, which is never super explored. Unlike Vincent Canby, I'm fine with that. You <laughs> can say,
0: bring up that review.
1: Yeah. He basically, he he did not like this movie, but Vincent Canby, kind of, he kind of sucks, but he was like, why, why don't we know more about the husband? Like maybe she had a mental breakdown and she's hysterical and that's why she's becoming a lesbian.
0: And <laughs> Jesus, I understand one half of that point which is like why don't we know more about her marriage like why don't we know more backstory and I I would agree that that's a missing piece not because we need to diagnose like why she's a lesbian or like why she's doing why she's getting the divorce but I I do think there's a disconnect for me with like the characterization that people say about her and like the description of this movie when you just like read the IMDB summary that she's like Uptight and she needs to let loose and become free but she never truly comes across to me that uptight like she seems pretty down to just like be with everybody and walk horses and get drunk on Bud Light and go dancing mm-hmm. but then she also doesn't really go like that free like mm-hmm. what is she, she doesn't really do anything other than she's here to establish residency but like the whole finding herself, I don't fully buy it. I I feel like it's a thing that the script doesn't do as well is like the characters are saying a lot of things as opposed to doing them. Mm-hmm. But I think it gets the relationships between people right really well. And I don't think we need to diagnose like why she's leaving her husband or like she's not. I don't think we need to know if she's leaving her husband because she wants to go. Like, be with a woman now. Suck on titties. Suck on some titties. Um, The fact is that she does, and that's fine, and the movie's not trying to interrogate that, but without any more to her character, she just is kind of a blank slate, whereas I think Kay is much more dynamic and effervescent, and I sort of see in that performance and see in that character, like... Oh, this is a this is the the carefree spirit who's like out and comfortable with herself that would show Vivian what it means to be comfortable being who you are. But I there I, I think there's a disconnect for me with with some of what Vivian does.
1: Yeah, I watched an interview with the lead actresses about this movie, and in it, Helen Shaver she talks about how she worked she talks about her work Figuring out the physicality and the look of Vivian. And she Mm -hmm. talks about how in the beginning of the movie, she basically is completely rigid from the neck down. And it's supposed to convey that she is uptight. Mm -hmm. And how as the movie goes on, she sort of loosens up different parts of her body. And she also talked about how she worked with the costume designer and the makeup artist to kind of change her wardrobe as the movie went on. So at the beginning of the movie, it's like a very tailored dress with very sharp (laughs) shoulders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, she said that her makeup was whiter at the beginning. And as the movie goes on, she introduces more like warmth and color into her makeup palette. And so that on a rewatch might come across more but i think that there it it seems like there was some sort of intentionality about at least conveying her inner journey because i i think part of it too is that vivian is a lot more reserved and so we don't it, it's sort of you're kind of guessing what's going on in her mind as opposed mm-hmm. to kay who just kind of says whatever's on her mind mm-hmm. and so you have to I, I think the movie was trying to figure out a way to convey that through something other than dialogue and using like physicality and costumes and whether that comes across well in the movie, I think uh-huh. is up for debate, but apparently there was some sort of intention behind that. Yeah, she was also it was interesting too because she was uh Helen Shaver was talking about the reason that she decided to dress like that and act like that in the movie was that she was trying to think of what it would be like to be a woman in academia in 1959. And she was basically mm. like you would have to be in order to be taken seriously in an academic setting you would basically have to like de-sex yourself Mm. and it is i I do see this in the movie whereas the movie goes on she becomes more physically open and like you would never expect the character at the beginning of the movie to i I, like obviously she's naked sometimes but like in the film like Mm -hmm. (laughs) have a sex scene like they do in the film right like show boobies and stuff like that titty sucking T- sucking titties I mean they tucking titties yeah they, it's it's a powerful thing they the they have that sex scene mm-hmm. and then it's kind of like a call me by your name beat where it's like they have the sex scene and then Helen freaks out sort of like Elio freaks out yeah. after the sex scene in call me by your name all and they she, try again later and all she needs to do is suck on them titties
0: I'll she's like I'm I'm in. I'm in again. That was a kind of funny <laughs> shot where yeah. she like turns the corner and then she's just like topless in bed. It would like cuts back around. It that worked. was that was that was pretty good. That was that was a strong point of the movie. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't mean her nipples. I mean they were we didn't cut that. <laughs> <laughs> um I we know about boobs. I've I've uh they're like bags of sand. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Hearing you say that about like the nuance of costumes and makeup and all that I I get that and I appreciate that but I I wonder if it's like too much nuance without I maybe I just need my hand held a little bit more in a movie but keep thinking maybe because it's in the desert but Power of the Dog had a lot of nuance too but the script also had the characters doing things that allowed the audience to interpret and like make inferences about their characters, where I feel like hearing you say Helen Shaver was talking about like being stiff from the neck down. That's not something I picked up in either time that I've watched this movie, or like the makeup. I don't think I would necessarily notice that. Yeah, although her I'm, hair
1: does get a little looser as the movie goes on. Like she I'm has a
0: sure she has a pre-type bun, or like saying that she modeled based on what an academic a woman in academia in the '50s at Columbia would have been like. It's like, okay, then give us... To me, it's like, okay, then at some point in the script, like, show me her as an academic. Mm-hmm. Let me let me see that side of her. Like, she is just such a blank slate to me that I... We have to sort of put too much onto, onto yeah. her from I will other say, sources. I will say this, though, about the Jane Lynch interview. Something
1: <laughs> she did mention was that part of what drew her to Helen was that she is sort of a blank slate. That hmm. She could project onto, and I think that a lot of women, a lot of lesbians watching this movie, were probably, if you were a closeted lesbian, you probably haven't really easy time projecting yourself onto Vivian and sort of fantasizing about meeting someone like Kay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can I, I can definitely see what the appeal of that character is and how it would serve that function, because that's like a sure that's a standard that's like the the Bella Swan thing. That's, that's her name right twilight yeah that she is such a nothing that she could be anyone yeah that you can just yeah. project onto her and pretend that this werewolf and this vampire are trying to get with you i don't
0: yeah you read the books right i read the first book and mm-hmm. it, was, it was so boring <laughs> <laughs> i could it took me like five weeks i was so bored i only got a third of the way through it and then put it down i get that i do appreciate that and then i think in that sense the interplay between Kay and Vivian, regardless of like Vivian's backstory being enough for you or not, their connection, once it does come to fruition, does feel very genuine to me. And it feels very, especially in the scene in the hotel suite where they do finally like have a very intimate erotic sex scene. Yeah. Um, oh, I also found out from the interview with the actresses, the the Bells that mm-hmm. that was an that was an accident it was mm-hmm. pretty good yeah uh yeah uh deech said that in the commentary on the movie too yeah so i think my my biggest to sum up my point my thesis of this part of the essay mm-hmm. is that i think the script fell a bit short for me in some places and i think i had a hard time truly embracing vivian at least through the first half of the movie Like that's because you're not a closeted lesbian kevin well you don't know that. Really. And but but I think the different takes that it has on this relationship and like I said, like how their romance impacts other relationships around them I found very interesting. And then yeah, the the last half of the movie was much better for me. It was a sea lizard. Six feet long. Days it took to dig it out clean it. I was only 11 years old.
1: So before we get into the back half of the movie, I think sort of to your point, Kay is, feels like a very fully realized character basically from the moment we meet her, which mm-hmm. is when vivian and francis are driving to the ranch Mm -hmm. and Kay passes them on the highway and then flies into reverse going (laughs) 55 miles an hour possibly Uh faster than that which is that i guess that's possible that's scary it's not safe it's not safe (laughs) But that really uh, cements who she is as a character right away. That's a very strong introduction as opposed Mm -hmm. to Helen, who just kind of walks off a train. (laughs) Right, yeah. So we really understand her as a character pretty early. Yeah. And I think that comes to fruition pretty well with the end of the movie, and I think they do a pretty good job sort of deepening her. Um, There's that scene where they fight outside of the hotel Or Mm -hmm. no, outside of the diner, Mm -hmm. and Kay's is basically saying that she acts this way so that the world doesn't change her. Like if if she didn't act this way, she would just kind of have to conform to everyone what
0: everyone else wanted her to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that lines up nicely with her relationship with Francis, which is very complex. It's difficult to glean, like we said earlier, like what that relationship actually is, but very quickly you get a sense that Francis is very protective of Kay and very needy for Kay's like presence and affection and is just sort of a sad sad woman
1: yeah um, and I think she what do, you, what do you make of because it seems like Francis is willing to kind of out of sight out of mind Kay sleeping with women mm-hmm. but she takes a issue with Vivian specifically yeah and I, th- I think part of it might be because she thinks that Kay is corrupting Vivian like she thinks Vivian is a respectable woman who is at her establishment and she thinks that Kay is doing something wrong with her or I, th- I think it has to do with the fact that she's sleeping with someone at the house like at the main house mm-hmm. I, I it, it seems like she doesn't mind that much or is at least willing to ignore when she brings in random women off the street mm-hmm. but when it's one of her clients she can't handle it she thinks she thinks it's going to ruin her
0: business. I actually didn't consider that so I I thought I took it much more from Frances being upset with Vivian for what she was doing to K not the other way around. But I think that's an interesting read because she I guess she runs a ranch, but then also uses it as a space for women to come establish residencies so they can just use it as like a, a cheap hotel, from what I gather. I don't get a full sense that she's like reliant on that income particularly. She doesn't seem... I guess the ranch also doesn't seem like it's very functional. Like you yeah. you don't get a sense that much is going on there. So I, I guess maybe it, it would be like a danger to her business. But yeah.
1: And I think part of it too is she became friendly with Vivian. Francis did. And she feels kind of betrayed by Vivian.
0: I, yeah, I think I, I read it more that way of there is sort of like a, a love triangle. Yeah. She's like, I thought there. you were normal yeah you betrayed me yeah like Kay did right i was like oh great another person is a lesbian another lesbian (laughs) on the ranch (laughs) Ah, another lesbian on the ranch that would be a good name for a scary movie-esque parody (laughs) of lesbian period dramas
1: (laughs) another lesbian on the
0: ranch movie good (laughs) um i think yes to that and yes to the movie, but also yes to yeah, yes and we're, yes and are, yes ending um, improv rules improv rules yes and I think that Frances though is I read it as she is so needy and so dependent on k that she's seen she's she's like kept k very close to her and this is the first time that she's sensed that k is pulling away from her and. And giving space to someone else, and that mm-hmm. person is Vivian. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like a sense of loss, but also a sense of jealousy, which then compounded with friendship for Vivian just makes her feel betrayed. Yeah. And I, I think that's why she wants like her out. Then Kay finally says, like, I'm gonna, like, I'm moving out. And she's like, I want you to live your life and be happy. And it's like, well, do you? Yeah. Do you really want that, or do you just want her to be around and like living her life as long as it doesn't doesn't really impact your day to day?
1: I also I feel like we should mention this. Didn't really I didn't realize this until the movie was over because mm-hmm. I did not watch Three's Company, but Francis is played by uh, Audra Lindley, mm-hmm. who played Mrs. Roper on Three's Company, which mm-hmm. I've seen episodes of Three's Company, so. I imagine this was a little outside of her wheelhouse. A <laughs> like, it, like I'm not super familiar with that show, but this seems like a strange choice for someone who was on a network sitcom.
0: <laughs> Is Mrs. I didn't watch it at all. Is Mrs. Roper like a, a mothering character? She's like the landlady of the place where they live.
1: And so Three's Company was the late 70s. Mm-hmm. So she had, it had just finished. And then The Ropers, which was the spinoff, was 1980. So I guess she wasn't she, currently on the show. So this was post Three's Company. She wasn't like in the middle of doing this primetime network sitcom while also being in this lesbian movie with sure. a five minute sex scene. <laughs> sure. <laughs> more than five minutes. I timed it. It was, it was more than five minutes. Wow. Um, so some other people in this movie. Well, okay. So another another friendship I really like. I really like the relationship between Silver, Silver and K. Kay. And K. Kay. Kay, 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 Silver is just like this woman that Kay works with. Who they're just like besties, and mm-hmm. Silver doesn't care. And there's that great scene where they're taking a bath together, and Silver's husband comes in, or fiance. Yeah, fiance. and it, it it just feels very lived in and sweet. And I like
0: that scene a lot. It's like if if it were another movie, they would be doing the opposite things. They like with the other people. Yeah, like she would be in the tub with her husband, and k might come yeah. talk to her. But that felt but like a that felt like a real cute thing
1: that could happen. Like it, it really shaded in their characters nicely. But then at the scene where Silver, it's like the engagement party or something. But she sings when she, when she sings, she mm-hmm. gets and she gets up there and she's like, "Don't clap yet. I'm going to sing a lot of songs <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good line. She's good. Did you catch Jeffrey Tambor in that scene?
0: Yes. He was also sitting at the lunch table in one earlier scene. Yeah. So, Deech also brought him up. So, she recorded the commentary. He has has no lines
1: in the movie, though. I don't think. He does, at the table. Okay. At
0: at the lunch table, he says, like, two things. Okay. But she said the only scenes that they cut from the final edit of the movie just happened to be all of the scenes with Jeffrey Tambor's character. Wow. So, he did have more to do, but then, snip, snip. who, Who is he? I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I truly it, don't it's really don't it's never know.
1: really established who he is as a character. He's just like into the just there. Yeah. It's <laughs> weird. And then also the what is what is that kid's relationship to anyone at the ranch?
0: My best guess is that he is either Francis's actual son. I think that's it. Think or Kay's
1: brother. I think he's Francis's son. But he's not—he's not Greg's kid, right? Because Francis says that Kay is the only thing he has left of Greg. Right. So she
0: wouldn't say that about. But there's some—they have some sort but of familial he calls, relationship. He calls Kay his sister at some point. Yeah. But Yeah. yeah. I guess then he's not related to. So there's okay. So I, Francis basically is just like fuck his drag. <laughs> like, yeah. He's Nothing. So f- there's this
1: there's this kid who lives on the ranch too, and it's he small, sort yeah. of has a crush on Vivian, his and Vivian cutie
0: patootie. Yeah. Did you recognize him? From the music video. Yes, I
1: didn't I didn't realize that until after the movie ended either, but he's he's in Papa Don't Preach. He plays the guy who knocks up Madonna. Which I wa- I rewatched that music video after the he's got a mullet in it. Looks great. It's cute. Also, if I were honestly, if if I looked <laughs> away, this mullet talk. <laughs> no, we we're not gonna talk about my obsession with mullets. No one needs to hear about that. But, Again. Uh have we talked about that before? Yeah. Oh oops. <laughs> <laughs> but if I were Madonna and I, like, if I ever looked like that, I'd be chasing that dragon for the rest of my oh life my too. Like <laughs> the way she she looks incredible in that music video in the the black cat suit with the yeah oh, and the, the hair and the makeup. Just, I'm I'm lucky. I think we're both lucky that we don't have that, have to like aspire to that as we get older. What do we have to aspire to? I'm just being an eccentric old gay with glasses that are on a chain that you put around your neck and then maybe a little like ascot nathan lane yeah nathan La-
0: <laughs> who doesn't love nathan lane <laughs> perhaps one more schnecken for the road do you mind when the schnecken beckon. yes i liked their their little friendship too but that was another instance where it could have used a bit more like yeah bulking we're, up we're obviously confused about who he is in the movie <laughs> right so he does ha- he does have a crush on her and it does feel like puppy dog crush mm-hmm. but then there's like there's some discrepancies in that character cuz then he like seems to have no sympathy for Vivian when she's getting kicked out he's just like packing her bags and then goes inside when he's told to go inside yeah and i wonder
1: how much of it too is we just wanted to see him in the movie more cuz he's cute <laughs> 50/50 yeah it's definitely there <laughs> if we're psychoanalyzing ourselves yeah that's true it's de- it's definitely a little uh, disappointing that he just wasn't in the movie more because he's
0: very cute. Rotted. No, no. Rotted. Um lesbians peed themselves watching this movie. <laughs> it's true. That is a fact. Yeah. Wikipedia told us.
1: Yeah, I went on uh ncbi.com. There's actually <laughs> the there, there was a meta-analysis of <laughs> lesbians peeing themselves from Jesus. Desert Hearts.
0: <laughs> See, I wanna go back to Silver and Kay. Speaking of the bathtub, there's like a really interesting intimacy thing that I think is impacting all of Kay's relationships, where Kay is very, she's av- so sensual, so very sensual, her sensuality. She's very touchy-feeling. She's like, a, like she, her love language is clearly physical touch, but she has like very close physical relationships with Silver, which is very platonic. But then also with Frances, like when Frances is drunk in bed and she's putting her to bed. Like oh, yeah. that, there's a very right. charged body language there and not in a way that I think the movies suggesting intimacy has happened or like is between those two. But I think seeing it played against like the closeness of the friendship with silver and then the closeness with Vivian. I, it makes me read that Francis is very hurt by k moving to other people like i don't know like, yeah she, she's well, hurt by that she takes it personally
1: yeah and right. maybe part of we've been spending a lot of time talking about francis but she's a very complex character in this movie i think maybe she recognizes that k's previous like this is different like k's mm-hmm. previous romances weren't as serious or there's the potential that k would like and this does happen at the end k Gets on the train with Vivian, and the last thing Francis wanted Kay to do was move, and maybe she recognized that and saw it as a threat, and so that's Mm -hmm.
0: why she kind of lashes out at Vivian. Mm -hmm. But then that makes I think Kay's end and the end of the movie. If we want to start moving there, it it makes Kay's character again feel really well rounded, and like she had a really nice story Mm -hmm. that, as a character, she's found. She's been very free. She's a free, outspoken person, but just found freedom to, like, leave and, like, go beyond just this ranch and experience things outside of this town. Not a town. It's Reno. Outside of this city.
1: She does spend a lot of time on that ranch. She <laughs> is there a lot. Yeah, she just, she, she is kind of, she's living on her own terms, but she is not challenging herself to really fall in love with someone. I think that would be her arc. Yeah, I like that. Also, and- we gotta mention this at
0: least. She just sexy. She is sexy. She is, as I've said... Yeah, when we like, were talking about this before yes, we started like, recording. <laughs> uh, this, she is the type of, like, butch lesbian that I am very attracted to. Uh, yeah, I love like, the jeans with the white t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love a lesbian in shirt sleeves. Uh, yes, I wanted her to come out in exa- exactly what you just said. Like, tight jeans, shirt sleeves, and then just a tight black leather vest with her shirt unbuttoned like all the way down. <laughs> Sorry to my husband. <laughs> but no, she's she's uh Patricia Charbonneau's very sexy. You get that very sessual <laughs> energy from her that makes sense like when, when they do finally have their encounter, their romantic entanglement. Yeah. It it does feel very like erotic and there's been a lot of build up. Yeah, literally too. all she
1: she is getting a lot of resistance. I mean, it's it's kind of funny the, the way that happens because she's yeah, getting it's a, a, it's a comic, yeah, she's like, getting a she lot had. of resistance from Viv. and so Viv goes into the kitchen and then there's this pan from the kitchen where you can see into the bedroom and Kay is just taken off her top and is sitting upright in bed, just like <laughs> top. <topless. stereotic. Yeah. laughs>
0: it's like I think she has like her hands folded in front of her. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm ready. and it works. Viv's like,, All right. <laughs> I gotta suck on them titties. <laughs> now <laughs> and they do get them in my mouth um it was a very it's a very erotic scene
1: yeah no music it's just completely diegetic noises wet mouth
0: sounds a lot of, yeah <laughs> goes on and it goes on for there's, a while there's music is there surely i maybe not don't
1: think there was wow huh and there is a lot of music in this movie. There's a lot of good. Mm-hmm. This movie has a lot of good music. A lot of like Patsy Cline, Patsy Cline, Buddy useful. Holly. Yeah.
0: No, it is a very like sexy scene, yeah. and yeah. And then you get to good. come down. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that it, that's that's true. Which
1: I think is probably I, I thought that was well done because I think that probably would happen. Like Vivian would freak out afterwards. I think so too.
0: Sense. That felt very real. And but I, I you know what I thought
1: was really uh, also really good so. They they have sex and there's this tiny little scene after that where they're still in the hotel and Vivian's actually being very affectionate and doesn't mm-hmm. want to leave and it's like they're still in the bubble mm-hmm. and then they go to a public place a diner and that's when Vivian starts freaking out because yeah. she's like we're in public now like I can't this I, I can't do this I can't right. be she she basically says that you know she's gonna go back to New York and she can't have k just hanging around being this like basically her like quote-unquote roommate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so she starts thinking about the future and all the complications and stuff like that and that's
0: when she starts worrying and tries to break it off and yeah it does give very i i hadn't considered all the parallels of call me by your name but the beats are very similar all the way through where there's like a limited time span where this person's going to be here Mm -hmm the seduction it happens. might even be six weeks <laughs> i think it was like it was like six or eight weeks i think it was i think it was six yeah it might be because i think he was there for a month and then he was gonna spend it, like a couple weeks in rome mm-hmm. or a week in rome older yeah. la- older lady Old, younger woman yep um
1: what the the blonde brunette dynamic the blonde, oh
0: yeah i that uh, that should have been one of my bingo tropes mm-hmm. that i made you say wow i missed that one but yeah absolutely also, cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deech loves cars. A lot of her commentary was about cars. Yeah,
1: this is another. It's it, I, I I guessed this while I was watching the movie, and I confirmed it. Where I, I was like, "This is going to be another one where like this woman made a good movie and then never got funding for another feature film, and that always happens." Yeah, I like. Cra- it's crazy how often the, in the past few years I've watched so many movies where i'm like oh that was great what else have they done and then it's just they never got funding for another feature film they like either to television or like cheryl dunier did she's done television but she right has done some like non-feature films i think we talked about this but what like joyce chopra mm-hmm. like I, I watched sweet talk and i was like oh my god that was so good what mm-hmm. else did she do or like daughters of the dust like the julie dash movie i was like that was incredible what else did she do and it's just like nothing Womp. Yeah. So if you were if you were a female filmmaker, unless you, unless you were Catherine Bigelow in the 80s and 90s, you basically could make one
0: movie and that's all you got. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. I'm looking at her IMDb now and she did some documentary movies. Yeah. And then a after ton this ton of TV, like one off episodes, yeah.
1: Apparently, Oprah actually asked her to mm-hmm. direct um, a miniseries. Off the strength of this movie, so that's good. I mean, Mm -hmm. she did work in TV, but you know, it's we like movies. We wish that people who have made good movies would continue to do so, and that's so often not the case with female directors.
0: She did do. There were a couple like late '90s projects that were interesting. There was this TV movie called The Devil's Arithmetic, and Kirsten Dunst and Brittany Murphy were in it. Hmm. Apparently, Louise Fletcher, which is very interesting from uh,
1: Exorcist II,
0: (laughs) the very same. but then, yeah, the documentary she directed called "Angel on My Shoulder" was about Gwen Wells, the actress who was in this movie. Was was Gwen the ex girlfriend? Was that
1: Kay's ex girlfriend?
0: Yes, I think so. Okay, but she formed a really close friendship with Deech, and then got cancer, and then that movie was like documenting her dying of cancer, which is really sad. No, but but um. Yeah, I I agree. I think that is we we've talked that talked about that about women filmmakers, but I think it's also happens with queer filmmakers a lot too. Unless you're certainly before like queer new wave set in and people started like actually funding more of these movies or thinking of like Gregoraki, you just did it regardless of how much money you had. Mm-hmm. Like this was '85 or this would have been like early '80s when she was filming this and and getting it made. I imagine. All, there wasn't a ton of support and she even mentioned that it was really hard to get the cast on board too that casting was a struggle because people's agents and like managing companies were telling them not to take this role because it's going to ruin their career Mm -hmm. which isn't completely true of what happened but it is sort of true like helen shaver patricia charbonneau
1: they're not household names or anything Mm -mm.
0: it's like audra Lindley already had a career and was better known but those two uh, lead actresses yeah didn't go on to do much else they had done stuff before it's not like they stopped acting but
1: this didn't yeah. launch them into superstardom or it anything
0: didn't though I think it could have like I think the acting was solid enough
1: yeah especially I could see Pat- Patricia Charbonneau like mm-hmm. I, I do think Helen Shaver is really good in this movie but and I like her voice she has a very like husky voice that I enjoyed oh. but Patricia Charbonneau, I think she just has like an it factor that I could see a lot of directors being drawn to. Mm-hmm. Agreed.
0: Yeah, so that um you wanna anything else you wanna say about Desert Hearts?
1: I just like that Kay's always she always looks like she's gonna like toss a bell of hay. Mm-hmm. mm <laughs> I, I think that's my fun. She looks me. like she she looks
0: like she smells like old spice. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For like a little, a little bit of, like Old Spice masking a little bit of sweat. <gasps> we'll be right back.
1: Je suis peintre. L'homme intéressé par ma
0: fille, Emilyanet. Nous partons <laughs> là-bas <laughs> si le portrait lui plaît. L'a <laughs> épousé déjà un peintre avant moi. What I don't know. Hi, <laughs> hello. We're not super enthused about the miniseries installment this week, but we okay. are here, and it's still can't being love installed. That's and that's fine. Not I think we're a winner. We're pretty positive on this podcast, actually. So it's it's time to.
1: Well, did you hate this? You know, I didn't hate I, this. I, I kind of hated. But we this, can dunk on it a little bit. But we watched a short called "Call Your Father," which was written and directed
0: by Jordan Firstman. Jordan Firstman, who is so cute. Yeah, I'll take the older this guy. Is, you can take the younger. This take is Firstman. really gonna tank my shot at meeting Jordan Firstman because I didn't super love this short film, but. I'm sure he's listening right now, Jordan. I'm sorry. I'm sure the rest of your work is even better. This didn't quite do it for me. Yeah, so I didn't hate it, but it didn't it didn't pan out for me.
1: Yeah, it's a short about a guy, a 24-year-old who goes on a blind date with a 50-year-old and sends up a billion and one red flags mm-hmm. and for some reason the 50-year-old sticks around. Yeah, I th- I, I said yeah. as we were watching it because it came out in 2016, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like a bad attempt to make
0: a girl's bottle episode. I can see that because the character sort of feels like Jordan Firstman's character, Josh, sort of feels like a snl caricature like it Lena feels yeah. yeah it feels like a skit as opposed to like a fully realized short film the first half i was sort of on board with because it's sort of like a nightmare of a first date and it's just sort of that awkward comedy that's very uncomfortable yeah it's like some of
1: some of that landed but if it, it like the music and the way it was shot made it like more observational humor and not as like goofy as it i thought it was and especially I get that it just just sort
0: like, of giving search party vibes in that sense though well he was on search party for like half half
1: a minute true but he like just right away so he meets this guy and one of the first thing their first interactions is at their at a bar and he orders him and this older guy drinks and the older guy's like i'm sober and he is basically like oh god <sighs> well and lame so that's when you break the date off right there like someone who doesn't respect your sobriety
0: (laughs) right well it's funny because it just like keeps i i don't know but okay it keeps escalating and like you keep getting more and more of those points where it's like well why aren't you leaving Mm -hmm. well this is it why aren't you leaving and then he goes all the way to the end and it takes him like threatening to we can spoil it i don't want people to watch this i just meant warning. Oh trigger warning suicidal
1: stuff yeah
0: he like threatens to hang himself in his living room with this pink noose that is an art installation Mm -hmm. and like at the end it like it just ceased being funny and by that time i was like this is this needs to be over yeah but it was clearly going for some sort of poignancy at the end but i just don't know if it earned that i don't think it did i think some of the funny things were like how it started where he like gets in the car and he's like no, I'm... He says, oh, you're so funny. He's like, no, I'm fun. Like, funny means you need attention. It's embarrassing. I'm fun. That's yeah. I just... That it, is funny. I
1: never... <laughs> I'm I, so I, upset. I don't know. I just never got why... I, they say at the end, Jordan Firstman's character says that he knows that this older guy has, like, had sex with all his friends and that he's an older guy who likes younger guys and I just don't know if that explains why he stuck around. Like, if he if he has like options,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if if anything that makes it makes it make even less sense to me. Like, if he can just sleep with other people, like why does he want to sleep with this guy who does not respect his sobriety, who is rude to him, who calls him boring at several times, mm-hmm. who st- he Shop who shoplifts, <laughs> and then runs away, giving this guy, the perfect out. And then he pops back into his life and is still like, well, I guess we're going to keep doing this.
0: Mm -hmm. And no, you're done.
1: Yeah. It's just like, isn't the point of like being in the dating scene like this to be able to kind of (laughs) pull the plug when you need to. Right. So here's where
0: I think the point was trying to be made. Okay. This is, this is my interpretation Mm -hmm. that it reads the whole time as a send off or like send up of millennial culture of like the ridiculousness of a twenty-four-year-old in L.A. Yeah, and what a horrible date with like when you go on a date with a young person like yeah this is how Ooh. ridiculous it is. No but bad. where I think what it, the point it tries to make at the end is that it's is like a millennials are people too mm-hmm. kind of thing and actually. Maybe the call is coming from inside the house, and the old people have problems too. Because he's saying at the end, he's like, "Well, you knew how old I am. You you didn't have to be here."
1: But not all twenty four
0: year olds are psychos, right? Like, <laughs> that's a, I know. I know. Then that, that's why it like doesn't
1: work. Yeah, you know what would would have worked honestly. The, what I just thought of, you've seen bodies, 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 right? Yes, fantastic. So that's I, I liked that fantastic. movie a lot, and I think that movie would not have worked if the characters didn't die because <laughs> they were like, they were such parodies of Gen Z culture mm-hmm. that if it was just like, if it had the arc of this movie where it tried to have some sort of like profundity at the end, uh-huh. you would be insulted because you're like, you introduced me to these awful characters and now there's, you spent 90% of the movie having them be awful. And then in the last 10 minutes you're trying to like give them some redemption arc no right you like you want to see them die horribly and that's how I felt <laughs> and that's how I felt about this like honestly if this if this turned into I, I, I didn't want to see him kill himself but if no. like it turned into a weird thing where like this older guy is killing <laughs> mille- millennials because they just don't deserve to live and it was like a
0: comedy horror <laughs> I think that would have that- fixed my problem with it <laughs> I can see that because then you don't have that weird moment where he's like, you need to, the title of the movie is like, you should call your father. Yeah. It's like, Oh, are we just saying daddy issues? I I, like, why why are you saying that? That doesn't, that's not, that's not the schadenfreude of it. Like that's Mm -hmm. not the retribution. Now I want to watch bodies, bodies, bodies again, because it, it also worked because if you're trying to just send up that culture and like lampoon it, a, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's funnier. Mm-hmm. But also, the payoff, like the end of bodies, 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 mm-hmm. is just is is nothing. It's there sp- there is smarter, no point. Yeah, <laughs> like they like they were just horrible, and they were their own worst enemy the whole time, and there is no payoff.
1: Yeah, and then, which is great,
0: <laughs> which is great, and it, it works. And then this one, it's like, I don't feel too bad for the 24 year old because he's psycho and i don't feel bad for i guess it what was it, greg this is like you should have left Like yeah the warning sign was this guy comes walking out of his house and he's holding a giant teddy bear and he just puts it in the back seat of your car and then doesn't know your name we gotta go we gotta go yeah i yeah it just
1: seemed it it seemed so like if it is supposed to be a satire of millennials yeah then it, it seemed so mean-spirited that the ending seemed to yeah. be
0: i like I, 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 yeah like when he flips it back on greg and he's like well you're the sad guy that could have left this date at any time but i gave you really good head so we're still here yeah if, if that's enough to keep you here then you're the desperate one yeah but and it, it's you're right it's it's so at points it's so mean it's not even funny anymore like he's talking about AIDS and everyone in his generation dying of AIDS. It's like... I get that that could be like but also really like, darkly comic. Why doesn't think, Greg oof, correct him or like yeah, say anything? It, like, it's... It,
1: it, it, something else that works about the girls' bottle episodes is that the characters are all yelling at each other or like <laughs> challenging each other. Like, Greg is just standing there the entire time and I didn't just understand why. It. Like, why didn't he... I, I, I would say probably the best part of the whole short is that scene where is his name jordan do we even learn his name uh, it's josh josh where josh is texting at the table mm-hmm. and then greg says you shouldn't have been doing that and he was like well you accepted yeah. it because you didn't say anything like, it's not acceptable. and i was like, like of course it is there was some actual <laughs> friction there between the two of them mm-hmm. and they were challenging each other so that was the best
0: part and then but then josh is like well of course it's acceptable but if you, if it wasn't acceptable you would have said something and, I would, and you would have told me to stop yeah and then greg's like oh yeah you're right yeah as yeah, opposed no, to no. Yeah. him down but even as opposed to greg just
1: listening to josh being like i know all your friends died of aids and greg just not saying anything right horrifying oh, <laughs> again, he, oh he also said only, again, only the- red f- red
0: flag <laughs> right. he also said only the cool people died of aids oh yeah he said he would have died of aids because he's a poet jesus christ that's psycho. That's psycho. That's psycho behavior. So this one was a, um, it was a short film. Yeah, it exists. Did you
1: ha- have you noticed? You're not on our, our Twitter as much, but I think a lot of people have been rewatching Girls. Is Girls getting
0: a like, Girls is getting like cultural a- reappraisal. I think so. Why Lena Dunham's awful? Hmm. I mean, Marnie is a wonderful character. Shosh, she was funny at the beginning, not early seasons. Okay, I've only I, I watched that show when it came out. I actually don't really remember it super well. I didn't. I did not finish it because they became so unbearable. Yes. So we're gonna keep going with this. wasn't the best, but we're gonna keep going with this miniseries. There are quite a few that are in the LGBTQ plus shorts. Collection on yeah. Criterion that we haven't seen. Let's get a little um, variety next time. Let's yeah. let's try something a little different. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I mean, Red Tree was very different. I've I've never seen a short like that. That is true. Um, yeah, I think we've got some we've got some good options on the table coming up. So we'll uh, close the book on call your father, and we'll go call our mothers. Though no love is blind.
1: Make up your
0: mind. I've got to. Should I hang up Or will
1: you tell him
0: He'll have to go So that is our episode. Go watch Desert Hearts. It's got everything. Especially if if we have any fans who are closeted lesbians. It's got closeted lesbians. You will pee yourself.
1: It's It's been scientifically proven. It's got piss play. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't gotten... I don't think. It, have we watched any movie with piss play? No, we could find one. We, we should find one. Yeah, there's got to be one out there. It's got horses. Yes, please, please message us oh. if you know any. We will, we'll, we'll get right on that. <laughs>
0: we, the, we won't accept anything with a budget
1: of lower than five hundred
0: thousand. That's right. That's <laughs> absolutely right. Um, horses. It's got cars. It's got. Um, it's got second. Uh, it's got the titties. It's got hair. Uh, hat pins. Hat pins. It's got um tight bodices that become looser Mm -hmm. as the movie goes on cars Mm -hmm. driving backwards in cars
1: driving forwards in cars That's true riding in cars with boys riding in cars with girls Riding in cars with girls
0: kissing in the rain kissing um, in the the
1: desert wearing a white
0: top oh yeah white t-shirt yeah (laughs) it's got um we swear (laughs) we're (laughs) gay it's got that's about it you know, there there was also talk of... And I don't know where the where this stands, but there was talk about a sequel to this. Oh, yeah. I looked and It doesn't seem like is that. that. Not,
1: that's not panned out. It hasn't panned out. It was... I think was Donna like the, Deitch announced it and she was working on it in, like, 2016.
0: Anyway, that is our episode. Thanks for tuning in. Go give us a follow if you haven't already on Instagram, Twitters, and Letterboxd. That's in a very game. That was...
1: Not another lesbian on a ranch movie, the (laughs) sequel. (laughs) Bye.
0: Bye.